Tech companies are expensive. So is it too late to join the party? Can you afford not to? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbitz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners. And by sharing these perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of July 27th, 2020. And today, we're going to talk about tech stocks, or how to think about them in a portfolio. I don't know what you're here for, but today I'm actually picking a fight with the five biggest companies in the United States. Ooh, yikes. Sounds like a fight you won't win. Is that foreshadowing? Maybe. Or maybe it just doesn't have to be a fight. We often tout the benefits of seeking many different sources of return in a portfolio. For example, stocks and bonds, value and growth, large and small companies. Sometimes one will do better than the other, but rarely is the choice crystal clear. Uh, All right. Well, Let's give them some background. The software, computer, and internet tech-stocked NASDAQ index is now up about 25% this year, and it's proudly led by the Fabulous Five. And I don't mean the famous University of Michigan basketball team here. No, (laughs) I am talking about the biggest five companies by market cap in the United States. And these companies actually make up half of the NASDAQ and a quarter of the S&P 500 indices. So it doesn't surprise us that we've been receiving a ton of questions from listeners about this very topic. It all comes back to investing at a time when some of the major tech-oriented corporations dominate the market. And we think there are three main questions in this topic. One, why have these companies performed so well? Two, can it continue? And three, what do you do about it as an investor? LG with the three. All right, let's do it. Why have these companies performed so well? The conversation around tech mania comes down to what is working or what should be working because of COVID. Growth stocks and specifically the tech names we're talking about today have provided investors with stable cash flows, solid balance sheets, COVID resilient business models. They capture pre-existing trends of digitization and e-commerce and profit on them while we can't go out to eat. Uh. Oh my gosh, why did you have to bring that up? I would do anything to go out to eat right now. (laughs) I Yes, me too. Yeah, all right, all right. But can it continue? I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong. These are really great companies we're talking about. I'm picking a fight with these companies though because there has to be a limit to growth at some point. And they have such high growth expectations right now that if they actually can't grow, then they just end up being these really expensive big companies. So if you think over the long term, things like aging demographics, increased debt burdens, and a more informed consumer have already pointed to lower economic growth ahead. Businesses that fail to lower costs or move to more digital platforms will probably be left behind in an environment like that. So For now, investors might be paying a premium for the corporate profit growth that these companies bring, and that might be worthwhile as some companies thrive and others struggle to survive. Now, I mentioned that's the long-term trend, but it's, of course, the short-term trend, too, as we think about this COVID crisis. Ah, those are all really good points. 
And in the very, very near term, like this week, for all those reasons you just mentioned, technology stocks face really high expectations for very big profit growth this season. And and this is an important reminder, I think, first, that this is not like the late 90s tech bubble. We get a lot of questions from investors, you know, is this a big bubble? It's, It's not like the 90s tech bubble, but still, stock prices often move on how reality meets up with that expectation. And so since expectations are so high, if a company fails to meet those expectations, there could be some volatility ahead. And perhaps if we expand the time horizon a bit longer, we'll see that these companies face additional headwinds down the road, like regulation and potentially higher taxes and maybe a less favorable M&A environment. Okay, so if we go back to the main three questions, there are fundamental reasons why these companies are performing well. Will it last? It it could last for a little while, but it, it won't last forever. And so that brings us back to the third question. What does this all mean for investors? And here, I think solid performance this year is important. But when you think about your portfolio as a whole, it's important to know that many common investment products like a passive market cap weighted index, and you were mentioning this earlier, Robert, but those have a lot of exposure to these companies already. Yes. So here's the question that I'm thinking, is an investor truly diversified when they're buying an investment solution that just tracks the performance of the S&P 500 index or the NASDAQ? I think they are diversified. An investor who buys into a market cap-weighted index is still getting exposure to a broad basket of stocks. So there have been days recently, for example, where those five big names have been down, but the market's flat. Yes, but there have also been days like last week when the S&P 500 advanced more than half a percent. Well, eight sectors were down. And there's only one other time when the S&P 500 has risen by more than 50 basis points while eight sectors declined. And that actually happened to be in the 2000s. So not surprisingly, all those gains that we saw could be accounted for by four of the big five companies that we're actually talking about. I think that what we're getting at is one of the themes from our team's outlook, which is that investors are facing just powerful cross currents that aren't going to be solved by any one strategy in the US alone. So one of the ways we've been thinking about these tech stocks outperformance is, yeah, there are reasons why the outperformance has been there, but if you can't tolerate valuations at this level, um, then I'm starting to see institutional investors take profits and move those over to you know creative hedges, Think of, thinking about those hedges on a portfolio-wide basis. So the wide dispersion between richly valued mega cap components of US large cap growth and the broader market may create a headwind for passive index investors, not in the next month, not in the next year, but over time. Yes, that's a really good point. And also, you have to be a bit suspicious of what you're actually buying when you're buying these 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 baskets. Like you said, there's a lot of different things that can contribute to a portfolio. And right now, many of these companies that are contributing to the performance of the S&P 500 might not be the secular growth stories. They might actually be hiding their exposure to economic cycles. They, they might be more cyclical than investors think. And thus, maybe down the road, we could see their earnings decline or slow if the economic recovery fails to take hold. So investors should be a bit more cautious and selective than just a broad growth or tech index exposure. 
that sounds like a perfect time to start our portfolio pause, which is a section in the program where we drill down on a single investment idea. So let's start with a scenario, and I think it's a common one right now, Robert. An investor wants to put new money to work, but they're skeptical of the concentration risk in market cap-weighted indices like we've talked about, that tech concentration in, in passive indices. So what do they do? A super common question. Uh, and there's a lot of ways that an investor can approach this and with a number of different tools. Uh, let's put it in two buckets. I think the first bucket is they just go active with an active manager or the second bucket is they can try to change up their style. So LG, you want to take that first one? Sure. I'll take the first one, which is to shift away from passive exposure and more towards active exposure. So what we mean here is a passive investment tool attempts to replicate the performance of a particular index instead of outperforming it, meaning it doesn't try to beat the market, just want to be in that market. Um, and by comparison, an active equity manager will select a handful of stocks that they believe will outperform that average. So given all the uncertainty and the powerful cross-currents that we talk on this program all the time, it might not be a bad idea to think about who the winners and losers are going to be in the market as a whole to try and avoid some of those high valuations, again, if, if that's something that you're hoping to avoid. So active managers can watch the performance of those stocks and add or remove them for a, from a portfolio as they see fit or if those valuations aren't attractive at the time. Couldn't have said it better myself, but not all investors want active management. Uh, however, they, they want liquid, low-cost exposure to the market. And in these cases, an investor just has to change up their style a bit. For example, one way is that they can move away from market cap-weighted indices and invest in equal weighted passive indices that that divide the the equal weighting rather by market cap, but just a, an even weighting across every company. So an investor gets all the same companies, but they have the same weight beginning on rebalance day. Another thing that, that investors could think about is that a, a strategy that focuses on dividend payers could also get you some exposure to the S&P 500 companies or the market as a whole, but a completely different type of exposure based on the fact that they pay dividends or add that cash into the portfolio, relying less on just price. Right. So the weighting would be different by you know a, a different methodology, not market cap, but by dividend. And I think that that's another great strategy that we've talked about before in our outlook. And there are so many options that an investor should weigh with a financial professional because there, there are so many different solutions. And ultimately, all these options will help investors get that exposure to different drivers of return in their portfolio. And so whether it's the size of a company or it's the sector or it's the earnings growth potential, sometimes one of these factors will do better than the other factor, but they're all really important components to an investor's well-diversified portfolio. In our portfolios, just as, a, as, as a, a closing point here, we balance those two factors. We overweight large cap companies, which tend to have growth qualities because of their COVID resilience during this near-term crisis. But we also have a strong value tilt. Right now that's manifested in international developed markets value, especially. Coming up this week, it's finally Fed week. So I'll be watching closely for any indication of change in the Fed's policy. I'm not expecting it. Um, we, As we know, policy has been so, so important in supporting the economy through this 
crisis. So if anything, I'd expect more clarity over the medium to longer term, but certainly not um, any sign of abating that policy support. Yes, and it's also earnings week, which will be important for the market to watch, not just not just earnings, but also what's going on in, in Congress right now with passing the new fiscal stimulus. Um, but regarding earnings, I think earnings will really set an example for how crucial it is that we're still getting fiscal stimulus uh, out of out of DC, out of Washington. The S&P 500 is, according to FactSet, reporting a year-over-year decline of about 44% right now. Ooh, uh, and a decline in revenue, exactly, a decline in revenue of about 10%. So we're looking at the worst decline in earnings since 2009. Uh, big, big need for Congress to do something on the fiscal stimulus front. Absolutely. And so the market and we will be watching Congress, who is deliberating this week over the next fiscal support package. And we'll have more on that next week, I hope. Yeah, hopefully they get something put together before those enhanced unemployment checks run out. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at nylinvestments.com forward slash blog. And until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. We look forward to hearing from you. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamonts, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about mainstay funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.